Good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on the staff at Church on the Trail. I'm so super thankful that y'all are here. Happy Father's Day. I hope uh, all of you got some bacon out there. We're all about eating right and healthy and so forth. Um, that, that bacon's not kosher, though, but that's another issue. Um, anyway, I, am su- I really am super thankful that you're here. And, you know, I had a friend of mine last night, and it's Father's Day, and, and uh, Susan used to tell me when our kids were little, she said, today's Father's Day, so be a father. I'm going shopping. But, <laughs> but I had a friend last night. He's a pastor at a great church in Phoenix City, Woodland Baptist Church. And uh, he said, I know t- tomorrow, uh, he said it's going to be hard because my, my dad passed away on uh, on Veterans Day last fall. And I said, well, I said, you know, it's weird. I thought about that on Wednesday. Is it, you know, is it going to be hard? And, of course, there's in some sort of way it's going to be, it, I knew it was going to be hard, but but last Father's Day he was not a believer, but he is now. And, and you know, 29 hours before he died he got saved. and And so... I thought, you know, if he had died lost, I would have been grieving every day for the rest of my life, I guess. But in God's sovereignty, like mind-blowing sovereignty, you know, he saved him about 29 hours before he he died. And so I said, yeah, I guess it's going to be hard because even a month or so ago, I grabbed my phone to call him. It's just weird. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. And whether somebody gets saved when they're seven years old and they live till they're 97, or, or if they get saved 29 hours before they're 90 years old, it's neither here nor there. Saved is saved. So I just wanted to share that with you all because, you know, it is. And I know a lot of us here probably have, have lost a dad in the last year or two, and, and, and it is tough. And so we're going to talk a little bit about all of that today. You know, I want to, I'm going to, I want to tell you, a, 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 it's going to be a little different kind of message today. It's going to be a parable that a, two friends of mine wrote and told me uh, about a, two years ago probably. And, you know, a parable is a, is a story told not really a true story, but it's a story. A parable is a true is a, is a story that's told that uh, that conveys spiritual, biblical spiritual truths. And so today, I want to teach us, teach myself. I want to teach us in in, in a parable. And it's the way Jesus taught more more than any other way in Scripture. You know, the the pages of the Gospels reveal Jesus teaching constantly in parables. And so that's what we're going to do today. Be scripture woven throughout it, of course, but it's going to be a parable. And I want to start off with a, a, a passage, a couple verses in, in the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Start in, cha- in chapter 30, verse 19. The Bible says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Why, why, why choose life? That you and your offspring may live. That you and your offspring may live. You and your sons and daughters and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. He says, choose life. Verse 20 says, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he, the Lord your God, he is your life and length of days. So here it is, y'all. I, wanna, I want you to... Imagine that you're sleeping one night. God visits you in a dream, and he's going to reveal, he's going to give you a vision. He reveals himself in a dream, and he says, he says, come with me, I want to show you something. And boom, you find yourself in this filthy, dark room, room you've never seen before, piles of dirty clothes everywhere, junk, garbage all over the place, nasty, unbearable smell. And suddenly you see this movement in the shadows kind of over in the corner, and it's a feeble, filthy old man. He's hunched over in the corner alone, gasping for air, and then he just vomits on the floor. And you're kind of disgusted at this this thing. 
And you turn to the Lord and you say, like, what is this? And he says, I want to, I want you to think about this man. His name is Roger. And he says to you, he said in this vision, the Lord says to you, there's a lot of Rogers out there in, in the world. He's a wicked, foolish man, just like his daddy was. Hating on me, shaking his fist at me, cussing at me all the time. And then God starts to roll these images in your mind, through your mind of Roger's life. He's kind of unfolding Roger's life in front of you. And you see Roger's illegitimate conception. You see his unwanted birth. You see poverty and pain that resulted from his own dad's neglect, from his dad's rejection, from his dad's abuse. You see the hurt in Roger's eyes as he's a little child. You see his heart gradually kind of fill up with anger. And then you see his heart harden with hatred. You see it raging with absolute rebellion. And then you shake your head like you're watching all this. And you see him grow up to reject all the wisdom, all the warnings that God mercifully sends his way. God mercifully sends his way to rescue him. You see him rebelling against every bit of authority, rejecting every loving rebuke. You see him resisting repeated invitations to turn his life around. And you can't help but look away when you see him violate the purity of several young, young ladies you know, during his teenage years. And you turn back and you see the obvious result as he, he fathers and abuses and abandons his own children throughout the years. You witness him over and over stealing and squandering and leading others astray, rejecting every bit of responsibility, taking greedy advantage of everybody that crosses his path. He's always running away from the truth, lives a life of violence and perversion and addictions and drunkenness. And yeah, although he is tormented by his demons, his response to that is to shake his fist at God cussing his name, recklessly living out his days, destroying his own life and everybody's life around him. Every year you see it unfolding in front of you. Every year just kind of unfolds like one nightmare after the next. Nothing but pain and suffering Roger brings to all the people in his lives. Squanders every day of his existence until finally it all catches up to the present, to this vision that you're seeing this old man in the corner. The way you see him, old, dirty, gasping for air, vomiting all over the floor. You watch him wallowing around the floor and you see the emptiness in his eyes. You really become aware that the wages of Roger's sin is death in every area of his life. And here in this final chapter, you begin to understand and maybe even you share in God's righteous anger while mourning the loss of what what, like what could have been in this guy's life. And then the Lord speaks to you again in this vision, and he says, tomorrow on his 66th birthday, the days of my mercy for Roger will end, and I will require of him his sinful and unrepentant life. He's going to die here alone, and ain't nobody even going to care. And you, you're like, what, what then, Lord? What, what then? Well, well, he's rejected me, and he's rejected the offering of my son, and he will be judged according to the standard of my word. He'll be cast into outer darkness to join his fathers in torment for eternity. And all you can cast into outer darkness in torment for all eternity. And you, you can't help but tremble at those words, and you feel this heightened sense of awareness of God's perfect justice. And then you kind of wonder and you ask the Lord, like, what good could possibly come from me seeing this man's life? Well, the grief on the Lord's face begins to turn to, to hope. And he looks into your eyes and, and a warm smile kind of comes across his face. And he says, I want to show you what my grace can do. What my grace can do. And you're like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you've seen where Roger is now, but I want you to experience his life as he should have lived it, as if he and his father both had obeyed me. 
You understand that the wages of sin leads to death, but I want to show you the results of, of a life of righteousness and my grace as well. So instantly, you and the Lord travel back even, even many more decades. You find yourself standing in this little old country church, one building, one room church, and you look around that, that room and the clothes of the people in the congregation remind you of your, the old pictures of your great-grandmom and granddaddy. Your eyes catch this young man in the back row, crew-cut, military uniform. He whispered in the, in the ear of this young lady sitting next to him, scantily clad young lady sitting next to him, and you say, Lord, who, who, who is, what's up with this? Who's that? Well, that's Roger's father, James. When James was a young man, and today is the day that he hardened his heart and he walked away from me, but you're going to see him respond differently to my grace in this vision. Suddenly, the preacher's voice booms from behind the pulpit, repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Passionately, he calls everybody with an ear to hear and to turn away from their sin, and folks start standing up. The choir begins to sing Amazing Grace, and your eyes fix on James in that back row, and he's got his fists clenched and his jaws kind of tight, and he's just all tense, and then all of a sudden something changes, like the look on his face sort of changes, and he, he lowers his eyes, he looks up again, and he's watching people slip by row after row, and they walk up front, they're walking the aisle, kneeling down to pray, hungry. People are hungry to get right with God. Preachers hollering, now's the day of salvation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart. You'll find rest for your souls, preacher's saying. He says, repent, therefore, and be saved, so I can wipe away all your sins. He says, it's time for you to choose. James is in that back row, and he is trembling, wiping tears from his eyes. Then absolutely contrary to everything, anything that James has ever done in his life, he finds himself getting up, and he kind of slowly walks down the aisle to the altar, and he kneels down, and there's so much sincerity in his voice, cries out to God for help, cries out to God for forgiveness, prays to be saved, places his faith and trust in the Lord that day in that little country church in front of that cross. Sits there quietly for a minute, and then he gets up, and he turns around, and he walks back, back of the church, and he looks different. Something's different. Something's there that wasn't there before. And it's peace and hope and rest. You become aware in your mind, Lord's showing you this vision that everything about this guy's future is going to unfold in a radically different way. Time kind of races. And your mind begins to flood with images of James, Roger's father. James' life as his story is like rewritten, you know, right in front of your eyes and Rather than violating Lily, Lily was the young lady sitting next to him, rather than violating her, then abandoning her with Roger in her womb, James shares his newfound faith with her. And soon she embraces his faith as her own, and they talk to the pastor, and they get baptized the next week together. Childlike belief. They start rebuilding their relationship together. A, new, a renewed commitment to purity and honor and integrity and sincere, authentic love. You watch James talk with Lily's dad and then marry her with the complete support of her parents, with the complete support of their new church family. You see them launch into a married life with God's blessing and a strong foundation of faith. Every week, James and Lily, they're growing together. They're worshiping the Lord together, listening to the teaching of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word. They grow. They fellowship with other believers. They spend time alone in prayer. They spend time together in prayer. James is reading the Bible one morning, and he learns that he is to love his wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church. He learns that he's to jump in front of the train for his wife. He realizes that God has called him to be the spiritual leader of his family. He prays for God to show him, like, what does that mean? The more he realizes, like, the more he obeys the Scripture, 
the more he matures, the more his mind is renewed. He begins to understand that this faith is not a blind, ignorant, stupid faith. His mind is renewed. He starts to discern what's right and wrong in his life. And having been wounded deeply by his own dad, you see James battle with resentment, but then you see him completely forgive his dad. And that brings this incredible new freedom and, 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 and liberation from the bitterness that has haunted him since he was 10 years old. And he then asks God to break any destructive chains that are holding onto his life that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And you feel the joy as God starts to give him little, little personal breakthroughs, little God moments. James and Lily establish better habits. They begin new family traditions in their own home. Sundays become days of rest and worship. They begin praying about all the major decisions of life together. When disagreements and hurts come up, quickly they work through those things. They forgive each other. James listens more lovingly to Lily's ideas, listens more lovingly to her requests. She increasingly respects him more and trusts his decision-making. And then it happens months and months and months of praying for children. And then you hear Lily tell James that she's pregnant. And James is overwhelmed. Thanks, God, for this priceless gift. And he and Lily pray every day that the Lord would bless and protect and use this child for his honor. You're captivated if you, as you see the major difference in Roger's beginnings from what you saw earlier in this vision from his life. Now, Roger's being born into a strong, God-honoring family where his mother and father deeply love him and deeply love each other. Your mind jumps ahead. You see James and Lily bringing little Roger to their church family. You see them dedicating him to God. You feel their sense of inadequacy as they pray together with the pastor for wisdom and guidance how to raise Roger well and train him up in the ways of, uh, of the Lord, train him up in the way that he should go. You smile as James looks in wonder at his son's little face and he holds him proudly on his shoulders. You see Roger start to grow up. You can tell, you can see, you can feel that little Roger feels emotionally secure and he knows that he knows that he knows that he's loved. You see this amazing balance in this child's mom and dad teaming up together every day to give their son everything that he needs. Solid upbringing. You see his mother's comforts and warnings. You see his dad's encouragement and discipline. You see him develop a loyal and loving respect for both of them. He hears his father reading the Bible out loud at home, and he discovers that at an early age that God created him in his image, wants to have a relationship with him. And you enjoy watching James wrestle around on the floor with his son, teach him how to tie his shoes, teach him how to ride a bike, teach him how to throw a baseball, and you, you're privileged to see all of this. You see him carrying little Roger on his shoulders. Lots of stuff that James says or does for Roger are now inspired like by, by what he wished he had experienced as a child from his own dad. As Roger starts to grow, you see James use the Ten Commandments, teach him right from wrong, teach him how to treat other people. You see Roger later on convicted of his own selfishness, his own self-centeredness and his disobedience as his father begins to explain to him that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Roger sits wide-eyed in wonder when he hears his dad describe the amazing sacrifice that Jesus willingly made on the cross to take care of his sin. And then you see, you see Roger surrender his life to the Lord. You share in the joy of watching him get baptized in that little one-room country church. You get to see his change over the months. His heart becomes tender. 
His willingness to obey grows and he's longing to love God. All of that just increases and grows. And James is always there to keep Roger on the straight and narrow, to keep Roger growing in a godly direction. He uses the events of every day to teach Roger character lessons, to teach him how to be a responsible man. And you see him one time, they drive by a homeless guy sleeping on the street, and he challenges Roger with the importance of working hard and having compassion for the poor. You see it both at home and at church. He shows him how to open the door for a lady and how to stand in the presence of elderly folks. You see one time a thief breaks into their house while they're away and he teaches Roger lessons about forgiveness and honesty and why we lay up our treasures in heaven. One day Roger walks into the kitchen and he sees his dad holding and kissing his mom. You smile. You see James turn and he winks at, at Roger and he says, son, get married. He said, don't forget, kiss her every day, tell her you love her. Roger's like eight years old. He says, I want to marry my mama. I want to marry somebody just like that. But you know, Roger realizes more and more that his parents are imperfect. That they fail each other. Maybe they fail each other every day. But he also notices that they quickly work through those differences. They forgive each other. They learn from the mistake and they move on down the road. Several years later, James takes Roger to, to, on a business trip with him. During that long drive, he explains to little, Mar little Roger, and little Roger's not really little Roger anymore, but he explains to him the facts of life. And you hear James emphasize with wisdom and care the importance of living a life of purity. He explains how to treat a young lady as somebody's future wife or daughter or sister or niece rather than some object of lust for you to undress with your eyes. He says, did you and mom sin in that way before you got married? And you can see the grief on James' face. He said, yes, son, I'm sad to say we did. But you don't know how badly we wish we hadn't. But after we got saved, we stopped doing that and we made our relationship something beautiful again by waiting until our wedding night, the way that God's word commands and James paused for a minute and let that sink in. And he adds a personal word from his own experience. He said, son, you've got to keep special things special. He said, don't treat the holy and priceless like they're common and cheap. He said, I want you to learn from the mistakes that, that, that me and your mama made so that you can avoid them. He said, I want you to be able to tell your children that you kept yourself pure until your wedding day out of obedience to God and respect for your wife. Well, this heart-to-heart, man-to-young man kind of moment defines how they interact with each other as Roger grows, making him want to live up to his dad's example and his dad's expectations. You see scriptures being read through James's eyes and then quickly spoken into Roger's ears. When Roger is alone, you hear the words of his dad echo in his memory and advise him when he's making decisions. Keep your promises no matter how hard. He says, be faithful, son, with the little things, especially when nobody's watching. Treat everybody with kindness and respect and dignity, compassion. He says, know what you believe, know why you believe it, and be able to defend it. Do your work with all your heart and with excellence unto the Lord. Be willing to stand alone, son, for what is right, regardless of what your friends do or say. And Roger continues to see in James, his dad, the kind of man that's the real deal. Roger picks up his dad's love for reading 
and he learns about the heroic figures in Scripture and even outside of Scripture. He's challenged by their stories. He doesn't want to be as vain and wasteful and irresponsible as so many of his friends. When he talks with his dad about this, James just puts his arm around him, tells him how proud he is of his maturity and his character. Roger turns 15. James takes him through this rite of passage to call him into manhood. You're seeing all this, man. The Lord is just unfolding it in front of your eyes. And James drives Roger on a camping trip. They get to the campsite, and he's asked several other men to come spend a day with him, speaking to his son's life about what it means to be a godly man and a man of integrity. And Roger listens. He's eating it up. He's absorbing all this stuff, cherishing every word that he hears. At the end of the day, after a special outdoor game dinner that they have, James stands up in front of their family and friends, and he turns and he says, Roger, you are my beloved son, and I'm well pleased. He says, today, I acknowledge you as a man, and you are accountable now to read and to obey and to honor God and his word. From this day on, Roger, God's created you for a special purpose. He's got great things in store for you in the days ahead. And his voice begins to tremble a little bit. He said, I want everybody to know I love you. I'm proud to be your father. You start crying, and you ain't even part of it. The Lord's just showing you this vision. You see the passion of a father's heart pouring out unconditional love to his son. James gives Roger, Roger a Bible, got his name engraved on it, gives him a big steel sword. He says, son, fight the good fight. Stand strong in your faith. Everybody's cheering and embracing Roger. You watch the other men join around. They lay hands. They pray over him. They ask God to, to help him become a strong, courageous, successful man in every area of his life. Well, now the man that God made new in that little country church, James, got a new young man of his own. And you feel so honored to have been able to witness all that. And after that day, you can tell that Roger's mindset changes. The Lord's renewed his mind He's standing taller, he's standing straighter, he's fueled by his father's blessing. Starts to study scriptures more deeply as he's following the example of Christ. He learns that God has not given him a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of compassion and a sound mind. He resolves to diligently seek out and do the will of God in his life. Time flashes, you see Roger step up into manhood, do well in his education, surround himself with wise friends and excel in any job that he ever really gets. Wherever he works, supervisors, they tend to favor him. They're like, this dude is so respectful and humble and dependable. New seasons of his life flash in front of your eyes, highlighted by his marriage to a virtuous woman. You watch James place his hands shoulders of those two and he proudly blesses their marriage at the rehearsal dinner you see Roger then kissing his bride at the marriage altar family friends hooting and hollering cheering Roger embraces his new responsibilities as a Christian husband becoming a model of what it means to provide and to protect and to lead his family starts his own little business making a name for himself not only as a smart businessman but as a respected boss who cares about his employees' lives as much as their work, treats his clients with fairness and integrity. You share in the joy as him and his wife begin having children. As a father, Roger builds upon the legacy of his, his father, the one that is this new James in, instilled in him, shepherding the hearts of his kids the way that James had modeled. You watch how Roger and his wife carefully work together to pass on even a stronger legacy than they had been given. Roger realizes that the values 
that he imparts on his children will eventually impact his great-great-great-grandchildren. Roger becomes a leader in his church and in his community. His pastor entrusts responsibilities as a solid teacher, as a mentor for young families. His children see his commitment to sharing the joys and the sorrows of their new church family. And as his children, one by one, come to Christ, they develop their own deep, personal, intimate love of God, and they're influenced by both their parents and their grandparents, James and Lily. Roger mentors each one of his kids. He calls them into adulthood, y'all, and he blesses them with love and counsel and, 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 and advice and support. Family crises, family issues, family junk is approached, that stuff's approached with faith rather than fear. And the folks out in the world that misunderstand or they mock his family's values are prayed for instead of hated on. Roger and his wife lovingly care for and honor his mother and father James and Lily as they live out their years. Finally, they pass away. And Roger's sons grow up to become men of honor and his daughters grow up to be, become women of virtue. Each one of them radiates with kindness. They're known for their strong faith and their inner beauty, their noble character. And then the seasons change and children get married and grandchildren arrive and time passes in front of your eyes. You see a family reunion filled with joy as this wise 80-year-old Roger commands attention with his touching stories of faith and of life's adventures. Now he's able to hold and bless his grandchildren, great-grandchildren even. All of them know that they're loved. They're enjoying the rewards of, of the security of a faith that's just been anchored in this strong heritage that turned in a little country church. Family tree just changed. Sun starts to set on Roger's life. His day is coming. You see him lying peacefully, dying in a bed. He's still loved. He's still loving. Spiritually strong, even though he's physically crazy weak. Still blessing others with the counsel of his voice and the light in his eyes. Still faithful to his marriage vows. Eighty-something years old. But now, surrounding Roger as he's laying dying, he ain't puking in the corner. He's lying in the bed, got his children, y'all and his grandchildren. They're all sitting around him, praying with him, supporting him, encouraging him, staring at his warm, weathered face. You can't help but respect this dude that has been so fulfilled with his life, so grateful for all the blessings on his family. So rich in all the things that matter. Not the things that don't matter. And you got to see it all, man. And you're considering the, the epic of this whole story. And you become aware, again, that the wages of Roger's life have now brought immeasurable blessing. Immeasurable joy to the family to the community, to the church family, to people that maybe didn't even know the dude. Countless people been helped by this guy. His teaching, his counsel, his advice, business, ministry leaders thrive as a result of, of his leadership. Tons of folks led to Christ by this guy. Things that he said and things when, that he didn't say. Just in the witness of his life, you begin to hear the cheers of heaven just celebrate as he takes his last breath and is welcomed into that eternal home. And you hear the Lord say, well done. Come feast with me at my table. Your heart's like busting with joy. You know that now his example is being relived by all of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. 
At his funeral, the church fills up with family and friends. They gather, yeah, to mourn his loss, for sure. But to celebrate that life, you listen as people share story after story with his family. Stories his family had never even heard. Expressing their gratefulness for all that Roger had done and all that he had meant to them. They cry with hope, resting in the fact that he will be with the Lord forever. That he'll be remembered for generations to come. Inspired by that story, you got tears in your own eyes. You smile as you deeply consider this awesome vision that the Lord has given you. And the importance of your own role as a husband and a father becomes laser crystal clear now. Every man will truly reap what he sows. And you never understood it quite like this before. But now it's this burning desire, you know, inside of you. But then this horrific thought comes in your mind. And you turn to God and you're like, Lord, which one is true? Which account is truly Roger's in? And the Lord looks in, looks in your eyes and the smile kind of goes away. Countenance on the Lord's face changes. And you're like, no, God, don't tell me that this second vision everything I just saw is gone and, and that, that, that that didn't happen. Lord, I've like come to love this dude and his family. Please don't tell me that the beauty and the rewards of his life are just gone, that the truth is actually the, the man you showed me first. You look into the Lord's eyes and your heart is aching with his heart. He says, now you share in the sorrow I feel every day. Lord said, I watch men waste their lives every day. And now you get to feel a little of that. You are like grieving and weeping before the Lord. You're like, they don't know. God, they don't know. They don't get it. They don't realize what's at stake. They've never seen what it really looks like. They haven't seen the difference the way that you showed me the difference today. And the Lord says, but you have. And if they will read my word, they can, they can see it too. He says both those stories are being written right now in the lives of men around the world. But what's important is which man are you going to resolve to be today? Will you turn from your sins and completely trust me? Will you take responsibility to be the godly man that I have created you to be? Will you obey my word faithfully until the day you die? You can resolve to be that kind of man right now. He says, you can finish well. He says, but you got a chooser. You know, that's a biblical word. He said, you got a chooser. Lord says, you can live for yourself. You can. And you can lose out on all the incredible rewards that I have got in store for you. And you're like, but Lord... I didn't have no father like this second vision of Roger. My dad was nothing like James. My dad was like James number one. I missed out on so much. I was never loved. I was never mentored. I was never blessed by my father. We never read scripture together. We never prayed together. My dad wasn't nothing like that. He said, then you need to use the rest of your life to be the one who breaks the chain for your family. create a new legacy. He said, you need to be the one. And you've seen both paths. You've seen both. Y'all, so it's time to choose. It's time to choose. I want every man in this room, and we can lower the lights a little bit. I want every man in this room to come down here. Every man. I don't care if you're married or not married, if you got kids or if you don't got kids. I want every man to make a choice right here, right now. To be a godly influence for your family or your future family. God created you to be a godly influence for your family. And if you've been a godly leader and your wife might have encouraged you for 10 years and said, you're the godliest man and leader I've ever seen, I've ever known. 
Well, I'm asking you to come down anyway and be a godlier leader. Maybe next week she'll say, oh, my gosh, I thought you were the godliest man ever, but you're even godlier now. So I want all of us to come down. I want all of us to be better equipped to fight for our wives, for our children, for our grandchildren, y'all, for our great-grandchildren. I want to give y'all something. I guess if you can just start, just kind of hand those out, and if you can hand those out, or just kind of pass them around. But listen, these are resolution statements. The resolution statements, though, that are based on what God's Word says about men. Y'all, The world hates manhood. The devil wants to eat you. He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. And I'm telling you, when men's hearts change, the world changes. The world changes. Families change. Lineages change. You make a difference. You do. The world wants to pacify you, feminize you, lead your families. That doesn't mean lord over your families. Understand that. Lead. Lead. So really what I want to do, I want to read each one of these. I want you to repeat them back. And we're making a commitment. Every one of us, we're making a commitment. And you know what? James... Not the dad in the, in, the, in the story. James, our creative arts pastor, he, was ta- he said something about roots being firmly rooted. I guess roots root. He, he's talking about trees that, that the roots go down and they're just strong. It makes that tree strong. But you know what happens in Sequoia National Park? This tree's roots intertwine with this tree's roots. You think that makes them both stronger? The man standing next to you can encourage you, can support you. You get rooted together, together, and you're way stronger together than you are apart. Lean on each other. This is a commitment that we're making really to the Lord, but we're really making it to each other, y'all. We struggle, and I'm telling you, the world hates your guts, and they want to rip the manhood away from you. Don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. So all I want to do, I'm going to read it and just if y'all can just repeat it. And then I want you to take these home. I want you to fill your name in right there. And and it's crazy, but it's got a witness. Get a brother to witness your signature. Put this puppy in a frame and put it somewhere in your house. I'm going to say I, and then I'm going to say fill in the blank, but please don't repeat fill in the blank. Okay. (laughs) I know we're not all the smartest peanuts in the bushel, me included, so actually I'm going to say I state your name, but don't say state your name. And if you say fill in your blank now, then that's going to be a problem. So I, Ed Griffinhagen, I'm going to say it that way, do solemnly resolve before God to take full responsibility for myself, my wife, and my children. I will love them and protect them and serve them and teach them the word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I will be faithful to my wife, love and honor her, and be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus Christ did for me. I will bless my children and teach them to love God with all their hearts, all of their minds, and all of their strength. 
I will train them to honor authority and live responsibly. I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. I will pray for others and treat them with kindness, respect, and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I will forgive those who have wronged me and, I, and reconcile with those who I have wronged. I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I will seek to honor God, be faithful to His church, obey His word, and do His will. I will courageously work with the strength God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life and for his glory. Let me pray. Lord, I lift all these men up to you today. Lord, that you would give them the ability, the strength, and it'll be your ability and your strength, Lord, to, to live lives of nobility, to live lives of honor, to live lives of integrity, to live lives of character, to live lives of leadership. Lord, you are the perfect image of a father. And most every one of us did not have what we would even say was a, was a good father or a great father. Lord, some of us had terrible fathers. Some of us grew up not having the clue who our father was. And Lord, I know there's men, they've been maybe living here 30, 40, 50 years and said, I don't have a father. Lord, put in their mind that they do. You. And Lord, I pray a blessing over these men that they would love their wives or their future wives with the model that your son gave us, sacrificially. That they would love their wives sacrificially. That they would love their children unconditionally. Lord, I pray that their children would grow up in a home where whatever they did whatever, dumb, rebellious, whatever it is, that they would understand that that does not affect the love of a father for his son or daughter. Lord, I pray that these men would be that. I pray these men would live a life in, as an image of your son. Lord, I pray these men would be in community together, worshiping you together that their roots would be intertwined and they would strengthen each other and encourage each other. And Lord, we know that's, that's the way you meant it to be. Lord, let them understand that there are millions of Rogers in the world and they need to hear your word. So, Lord, let these men leave here today more courageous, stronger, more mature than they walked in today. Lord, let me be a better leader. And, Lord, I know left on my own, I'm terrible. So, Lord, work your Holy Spirit in my life to be a better father, a better husband, a better leader of this church. I will fail people. And so, Lord, I ask for grace and forgiveness personally. Again, Lord, I lift every one of these men up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Listen. So listen, y'all, and I, I don't know. I, I may have never had a conversation with many of you. I don't know. I, I, maybe I don't know if you are a believer or if you're not a believer. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's where it's got to start. And if you've ne- can you lower the lights? If you've, never, um, if you've never said yes, that offer is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, y'all. And if you've never said yes to that offer, that's a response today. I hope we will all respond together to be better dads and fathers and husbands and so forth. But if you don't know the one who breathed life into you, y'all, please consider that today. And it is, you've got to turn, well, you've got to acknowledge the sin in your life, and you've got to turn away from it and turn towards him. Confess that the death on that cross was real, that it actually happened in history, a real event. And that he walked out of that grave. And that, and that death on the cross took care of your sin. 100%. As far as the east is from the west. And then he walked out of that grave alive, really alive. Went in really dead, came out really alive to make that eternal life available to me and you. That's it. Y'all, and if you've never done that, consider doing that right now. But for sure, don't go to bed tonight. Go to, don't go to sleep tonight. without. And if you are not sure assured of your salvation, I'm going to make the argument that you ain't saved. Because the Lord does not want you to be a mealy-mouthed, wishy-washy, I don't know if I'm saved person. You can't be half saved. So if you don't know, say it again, think it again, whisper it to yourself again. Let's pray again. Lord, I know there are people listening, watching here physically that don't know you. So, Lord, I want them to know you. There's something hungry inside of them. They may not even know what it is. But I know they got a hole in their heart that you just happen to fit perfectly in. And so, Lord, anybody that's here, I want them just to repeat out loud, I don't care, out loud to themselves. Lord, I acknowledge my sinfulness. I turn away from that. And I don't just turn away from that, but I turn towards you. Lord, I trust your word. I trust that that death on the cross made atonement for my sin. Paid the penalty that was mine to pay. Lord, I believe it. I confess it. And I believe that you really did walk out of the grave alive. Lord, I beg you to save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank y'all. Y'all, you can stay here if you want to. I'm happy for you to stay. We've also got folks back there that would love to pray with you if, you if you want to pray through whatever it is you want to pray with. Pray through. I love y'all.